There's a famous Christmas song, and it is called, Do You Hear What I Hear? Now, I don't know how you might think about this song, but typically when I think about Christmas songs, Christmas carols in general, I kind of assume them to be kind of old. You know, there's some modern ones that we can pick out and we understand and we just know instinctively they're new, but a lot of them, they, they feel kind of antiquated and quaint and beautiful. And it's actually not uncommon for the carols that we love and sing to be 100 years, 200 years, even many centuries old. In fact, I found out recently in preparation for the message that the oldest known Christmas hymn, it is actually dated back to the 4th century, and so over 1,600 years ago, and its title is Latin, I will not attempt that, but in English it is called Jesus, Light of All the Nations. And so that's some Christmas trivia for your family gatherings over the coming days. The oldest Christmas hymn. Now, it is true that a lot of cherished carols, they have that old-time Christmas feel, including Do You Hear What I Hear? It just seems like something that has been around forever. But you may be surprised to learn, as I was, that this song was written not hundreds of years ago, but 61 years ago, in 1962, not all that long, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And this song, I know we sing it at Christmas time, and it certainly is a Christmas song, but it is as much a rallying cry for peace during a tumultuous time as it was intended to be a Christmas carol. And it was written by a man who himself had experienced the horrors of war. Noel Regney, he was born in France in the summer of 1922, and he had a passion for music. He studied at the Strasbourg Conservatory as well as the National Conservatory of Paris, and he was ready to embark on his musical career. This, however, was interrupted by the Second World War, when France was overwhelmed by Hitler's German troops. And against his will and much to his dismay, Regni, a French citizen, was drafted into the German army. And he hated the Nazis and their occupation of his home country. And so while he was, yes, a part of the German army, Regni joined the French underground, which was a group formed in order to undermine Hitler's genocidal agenda. And so his assignments in the underground, they required him to remain in a German uniform, to collect intel from the Nazis, and then, when French, and then warn French resistance fighters of what the Germans were planning. One of his assignments even required him to lead German troops into a trap where the French resistance could catch the enemy in a crossfire. And this day, Regni was shot by friendly fire, but he survived. And so Regni knew firsthand the devastation of war. Fast forward in his life many years later now, Regni, he marries a pianist, Gloria Shane, and music was their combined focus. They wrote lyrics and they composed music together, and some of their songs went on to garner relative fame during the time. This all happened in Manhattan where they lived now, and he had moved some years earlier. But one of their most famous songs written together was this staple of the Christmas season, Do You Hear What I Hear? It was now October 1962, and again, another war was ongoing, the Cold War. Tensions between the Soviet Union and the United States were reaching a fever pitch. The Russians had installed missiles in Cuba, just off the coast of Florida, of course, and these medium-range missiles could have reached much of the southeastern United States, including Washington, D.C. 
Each missile could carry a nuclear warhead more than 66 times as powerful as the blast at Hiroshima, Japan. And so even just one would be capable of obliterating an entire modern city. And there was also the threat of long-range missiles that could have hit essentially anywhere in the lower 48 states. And so, as you would imagine, the U.S., they threatened military action against the Soviets if the weapons of mass destruction were not removed. And the entire world trembled as these two nuclear superpowers were in a standoff. And this moment in time, many would agree, it was the closest that the world has ever come to nuclear warfare to date. And Regni, this French songwriter and composer, he recalls walking through the streets of New York during this time in that October month and a sense of despair hung in the air. No one seemed to be smiling. Everyone with their head hung down as everyone was gripped by the thought of terror and death being imminent. Now, Regni, he knew this sort of feeling. He had experienced war before and the sense now was just as bleak as he had remembered. But it was during this time, you know, sometimes strange things happen. And it was during this time in the month of October, around about there, that a record producer called Regni, and with Christmas fast approaching, he asked him to write a Christmas song. Now, Regni never thought that he would write a Christmas song. Least of all, not right now during this Cuban Missile Crisis. Everybody's perplexed, and there's so much uh, tension and chaos just stirring and brewing. But it all came together while he was walking home one day on the streets of Manhattan. And he said, I quote, En route to my home, I saw two mothers with their babies in strollers. And the little angels were looking at each other. And they were smiling. And all of a sudden, my mood was extraordinary, he said. And as I read this story and kind of the history of this song, I think you can recognize as well as I did that the contrast here is so striking. That despite the crushing weight of the moment just collectively bearing down on the people, these two young children had smiles on their faces. They were tuned into a different frequency, you know. They were hearing a different sound. Not troubled by all of the political tensions and all the pressures of the day. All they seemed to have was a sense of joy and peace. And evidently it was contagious. Do you hear what I hear? I want to tell us this morning that it is possible, very possible, to live in a chaotic world that is full of problems and issues and yet have your ear tuned to a different frequency. You can hear a different sound. You know, if you listen to the news cycle on any given day, it certainly sounds like everything is broken, everything is failing, disease and war breaking out at every turn, and it seems like sometimes all there is is hopelessness and despair. And truth be told, if your focus is just on this earthly plane, if your hope is fixed on this world and everything in it, then despair is a reasonable conclusion. The Bible tells us that this world is passing away. The Bible tells us that the elements of earth will one day melt with a fervent heat, letting us know that everything that is tangible is temporal. And Jesus tells us that in the world you will have tribulation. 
And so if your treasures and your focus is laid up in this corruptible world, then despair is a reasonable conclusion. But I've just come simply to preach this morning that there is a different sound that you can tune your ear to. Yes, you will have tribulation in this world, but we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. He has defeated death, and He is for us. He is with us. I wonder this morning, do you hear the sound that I am hearing in this service today? It's an eternal sound. It's a sound of hope and salvation, and it rings out because of Christmas. Jesus has come to this earth to save His people from their sins. Oh, happy day. You can have joy even in the midst of chaos. You're in a room this morning full of people, and we live in the same world that you do. I know we've got our Sunday best on this morning, but don't let the suit and tie fool you. We live in the same world full of problems. We've got our own problems, just as many as the next person. But I hope that you can sense, nonetheless, the joy and the peace that permeates the lives of the people of God. We have our ear tuned to a different sound today. Come on, the Bible says that He has put eternity into the hearts of men. And we have our ears tuned to that eternal sound. We're not focused on everything on this earthly plane. But we have lifted our eyes to the hills from whence cometh our help. The reason that we have joy is because our hopes are not anchored in this temporal, chaotic world. Our affections are set on things above and not beneath. There was an old song we used to sing before my time, but I remember it. We are a happy people. Yes, we are. We're not a perfect people. We're not a problem-free people. We're not a people that don't have any issues and any cares. We have all of that. But we have joy nonetheless. A hope beyond this life. And it is all because of Jesus. If you're grateful for the work of Jesus Christ in your life one more time, why don't you clap your hands and lift up a shout of praise? Because Jesus has made the difference. We celebrate him today. The fact that he came, the mighty God in a body of flesh. The prophet called him Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. A baby born in a manger, yes, but he didn't stay a baby. He grew up in this broken world, and he felt every aspect of the human experience. The writer of Hebrews said, in all points, tempted like as we are, tempted and tested. He went through trials, yet without sin. And so we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus knows what it is to be human. Jesus felt every aspect of the human experience. He felt sorrow and pain and hunger and weariness. He felt it all, yet he did it without sin. And that sinless, spotless lamb went to a criminal's cross to shed perfect blood. He died in our place. He paid our price. And he used a borrowed tomb, and it was borrowed because he wasn't going to need it very long. He rose up out of the grave. He left death behind three days later, forever to rise and reign in heaven with the keys of death and hell. That's this Jesus, alive forevermore. He blesses us beyond measure. He walks with us by his Spirit. He comforts us when we are weary. He helps us when we have need. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus today. And we celebrate Jesus. It's why we have joy, even in the midst of the sorrows of this world. 
Somebody say, it's all because of Jesus. And so Noel Regney, he's walking down the downcast streets of Manhattan this day. And he sees the joy of two small children. And like what we noticed from the story, I'm sure it was no doubt the contrast of the moment that captured his imagination. How could anyone be smiling at a time like this? But their joy became his joy. And this moment inspired him to write the requested song. And since it was to be about Christmas, his mind turned to Matthew's account of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2. Now, if you read the lyrics and if you read Matthew chapter 2, you will see some differences because the lyrics are only loosely based on the story. And, and many would suggest that there are some double meanings in the lyrics pertaining to the climate of his day, the Cuban Missile Crisis. But he penned these words, said the night wind to the little lamb, do you see what I see? There's a star dancing in the night with a tail as big as the kite, as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? A song high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea. Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, do you know what I know? A child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. And said the king to the people everywhere. This is what he was building to the whole time. Listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Again, a song written as much as a rallying cry for people to pray for peace as it was a Christmas song. Pray for peace, people everywhere. And here's why we can pray for peace. Because the child, the child, sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. At the moment when these words were penned, again, so many were caught up in the pressures and the cares of life. Everyone seemed perplexed by the imminent threat of the Cold War becoming a hot war. However, there were some, in this case two small children, they had joy. So again, I say it is possible to live in a world that is chaotic and full of problems and issues and yet have your ear tuned to a different sound. You can be tuned into a heavenly hope today and live above the fray of this old world. And in a sense, this, this origin story of this Christmas song, it mirrors the Christmas account that Matthew documents because it too was a dark and broken world into which Jesus was born. At this time, the Roman Empire was expansive and they had conquered much of the then known world. And Judea had been a part of its conquest. And, and given that, they had installed uh, a governor over the region of Judea. His name was Herod the Great. And if you know history at all, if you know the biblical account at all, you will understand that Herod was an absolutely brutal ruler. We could take much time and we could look at much history, but just one account from the scripture, we understand that he was the one in Matthew chapter 2, it tells us, who would eventually be responsible for killing all of the children two years old and under, all in an attempt to preserve his own position and power. And so this is just one small glimpse into the type of oppression and tragedy that the people had to endure at the hands of evil rulers like Herod. Rome, it ruled with an iron fist, and they imposed crippling taxes on the people that it had conquered. And in fact, taxes like these are a part of the Christmas story as well. In Luke chapter 2, it was an edict from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. 
that caused Mary and Joseph to travel back to Bethlehem where Joseph's family was from. And all of this is to simply say that there was a lot to hang your head about if you were a Galilean from that region at that time. War and tragedy and chaos and oppression, all of it. It was a dark time with tyrannical political agendas, people being oppressed, death and tragedy at every turn. And I'm sure that if you walked down the streets of any given Judean town, not many people would have been smiling. But it was into that kind of world that Jesus came. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. The Savior is born. Messiah has finally come. What a reason to celebrate. But so many people missed the miracle of that moment, didn't they? One of the striking realities of the Christmas story and the life of Jesus in general is that He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. So many totally missed the first time that Jesus, the Messiah, came to this earth. The noise of society, the hustle and bustle of daily routines, the cares of life crowding in, oppressive forces imposing their will for so many, that's all that they could hear. But for a small number of people, they had their ear tuned to the frequency of heaven. Their eyes were lifted to the skies and they got the message of the Savior's birth. This is the story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2 traveled far from the east to bring gifts to the child-born king of the Jews. Do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? There's a star. There's something happening in the heavenlies, and we're getting the message. The king of the Jews is born. Let's go see him. Let's go worship him. Let's bring our gifts. Let's bring our best to the Messiah. That's the Christmas story. And in it, I see the same contrast that I see in the story of the song. The wise men, they kind of remind me of those little innocent children in the streets of New York. Everyone else caught up in the pressures of life, but they caught a glimpse of joy. So many missed it, but there were some who didn't. The scripture records, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. And we are come to worship him. If you read on, you'll realize that Herod was completely caught off guard. And he was troubled by this news. So was the entire city of Jerusalem. No one was aware that Messiah had come. And so Herod, he scrambles and he consults his chief priests and his scribes. And he said, where? Where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born? And they quote the prophet Micah and they tell him that this Messiah will come from Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata." Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth. Unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so with this understanding, Herod sends the wise men in the direction of Bethlehem to find the newborn king. He says, come back once you've found him. Let me know. I want to worship him too. But he was lying. He wanted to kill him. And so these wise men, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east, it went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced 
with exceeding great joy. How can you have joy at a time like this? It's because you've got your eyes set on a different plane. You've got your ears tuned to a different frequency. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so again, I say this morning, when Jesus first came to earth, hardly anyone noticed. Namely, a handful of shepherds on the night of his birth and a few wise men from the east some time later. It barely registered on anyone's radar, despite the fact that there was a star to be seen. And there was a heavenly sound that could be heard if only one would stop to listen. And for those that shifted their focus from the earthly to the heavenly. They got the message. And they helped welcome the Messiah. The first time he came. And we celebrate the first time he came. This time of year in particular. And we ought to. And it's wonderful. But I can do one better than that. Because although we are grateful that he came 2,000 years ago. Really I want to talk to you about another event that is soon coming. And that is the fact that Jesus, the Messiah is coming again. And He is coming very, very soon. Oh, clap your hands for a moment. Yes, He came. Thank you, Jesus, that You came. But we believe that He is coming again. His first coming is what we celebrate this time of year, but His first coming, it points ahead to His second coming. Can I tell us this morning, there's a sound that can be heard in our day. It's a sound of salvation. It's a sound of redemption. Do you hear what I hear this morning? Jesus is coming back for His church. He is coming back to this world to reign as King and to right every wrong. Jesus is coming and every eye shall see Him. Every knee will bow before Him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every atheist knee will bow. Every other denominal knee will bow. Every other world religion knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Somebody say, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He came once and not many noticed. But He is coming again. And we have determined to be among the number that welcomes Him with joy. We are a church that still believes and preaches in the imminent catching away of the church. An event that we know as the rapture. You will not find the word rapture in your Bible, but you will find the concept of the rapture in your Bible. It comes from a Latin word, which means to be caught up. And that's what the rapture is. It is to be caught up into the arms of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. It's come to my attention in recent weeks and months. I, I know sometimes people believe different things and sometimes strange things when it comes to their faith, but there is a group in this modern day that does not believe in the rapture of the church, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. They believe in His second coming when He will come and make Himself known to the entire world, and we believe in that too. But it's important to understand and remember that the second coming of Christ is twofold. There will be the ultimate culmination when He comes and He makes Himself known where every eye will see, Revelation 1 and 7. 
where every knee and every tongue will bow and confess, Philippians chapter 2. That is going to happen. He's going to come in the clouds and everyone will see him. But there is an event that will precede that. When he comes in the clouds the first time, a part of his second coming, where not every eye will see him, but he will catch the church up to be with him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we still believe in the rapture of the church. We still preach and declare that Jesus is coming for his bride. He is going to catch us up. Everyone will notice that it happened, but not every eye will see him then. And then he will come again, the second coming, the ultimate culmination to rule and reign with the saints of the ages past. That's you and I. But the rapture will happen first. I've come to preach for a little bit this morning that the rapture is the next significant event to take place on God's prophetic timeline. And there is nothing else yet to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. It is the next significant event on God's prophetic calendar. And three words to describe the rapture. It is imminent, meaning it could happen at any moment. It could happen before we leave and part ways from this service this morning. It is imminent. It is instantaneous. Meaning that there will not be some buildup. We're not going to host special services, getting everyone ready to go. It'll be instantaneous, like a thief in the night, Jesus said. In the twinkling of an eye, less than a blink of an eye, the rapture will take place. And also the rapture will be final. When the rapture happens, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds. And after that, the door on the church age will be closed. It is final. You don't want to miss the rapture. You don't want to be a part of the number that misses the catching away of the bride of Christ. And so perhaps, contrary to what some would preach and believe, I'm going to quote the words of Jesus. He described the rapture. He said, Then shall two be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. That's not speaking of a moment where every eye will see. That's speaking of the rapture of the church. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. I want you to, to imagine with me just for a moment the chaos that will ensue on earth in the minutes that will follow the rapture of the church. The Spirit of God that presently works in the earth through the church of the living God, it will be raptured out of here. And chaos will ensue. Not only the devastation of people not knowing exactly where their loved ones and their friends and their acquaintances have gone, just people vanishing in thin air. But perhaps the most intense feeling will be that of hopelessness. As people realize that their opportunity to get right is gone. It's past. That the voice of the preacher... That, that preached to them and reached for them saying you got to get right and you got to get in the door called Jesus Christ while you've got the opportunity. That voice will be silenced never to preach again. That the Spirit that currently, the Bible says, draws men and women, that Spirit that draws people and pulls people and convicts people will no longer be reaching, no longer be drawing. It's going to be a chaotic and tumultuous time, which is why we must be like Martin Luther of old who said there are only two days on my calendar, today and that day. All I have guaranteed to me is today. 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. But we look ahead to the coming of the Lord, our Lord Jesus, to the rapture of the church. Today and that day. We must not be like Felix in Acts chapter 24 when he heard Paul telling him about his faith in God. And the Bible says that he reasoned with Felix of righteousness and temperance and the judgment to come. And Felix trembled. He trembled. He was convicted. He felt that drawing. But he said to Paul, go thy way for this time. And when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you again. I'm not going to commit today, but when a convenient time comes, Paul, I'm going to call you back and you can preach to me again and I'll feel this feeling again. I just want to say this morning, don't put off what God is trying to do in your life today. Don't brush off the conviction of the Spirit that is drawing you today. Today you have the opportunity to have every sin washed and to have every sin forgiven, cleansed under the blood of Calvary. You don't want to miss the rapture. But the good news is you don't have to miss the rapture because as of right now, the door is still open and Jesus is still reaching and His Spirit is still drawing and the voice of the preacher is still preaching and saying, you can get right. You can get right. And so we believe in the imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all through the Bible. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. This, this is why we can live in this life and not allow our hearts to be troubled because we have a hope beyond this life. So don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. But here's the ultimate promise and here's the hope that we have that if he goes and prepares a place for you, he said, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, ye may be also. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that have died in faith, they're going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the dead in Christ, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And our mandate in the here and now is to comfort one another with these words, with this hope, and with this promise. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to to exit this life via the grave. We're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. The dead will rise first, and then we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal frame must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, thanks be to God. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Come on, anybody got a praise in your heart this morning? A praise on your lips for the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He is coming. Jesus is coming. And he is coming soon. John the Revelator saw heaven. It's where we're going, brothers and sisters. Guests that are with us. This is a hope that you can take hold of this morning and partake of.
I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. and There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, and it was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It was beautiful. Hardly even capable of putting into words the beauty of that heavenly city. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is the hope of heaven that we have today. And there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne, he said this, Behold, I make all things new. And John, write it down. For these words, they are true and faithful. What I'm showing you, what I'm telling you, John, you can take it to the bank. It's a promise that you can stand on. There is a hope in eternity. There's a hope of a heavenly city where the Lamb is the light, where the streets are made with gold, where the gates are made of pearl, and Jesus is there. Jesus is coming soon. I know it's the Christmas season, but I just felt like this morning, in this moment, the Lord was leading me to be the best friend that you could have and let you know that this old world is passing away. And everything that you can see and interact with, it is going to burn with fire. The fire of God's judgment one day very soon, but you don't have to be here for that. You can get right with God today. You can have your sins washed today. You can repent of your sins. You can, in a few moments, you can walk to this altar, throw your hands up and say, God, my way's not working anyway, so I'm giving it all to you this morning. The alcohol, the drugs aren't working anyway, so I'm giving it all to you this morning. My thoughts, it's only leading me down destructive paths, but Lord, I'm trusting you today. That's what repentance is. It's a turn to God, and you can be baptized, taking on the name of Jesus, washing away every sin, and this morning, you can be filled with the glorious gift of God's Spirit. If you believe it this morning, just church family, why don't we lift our hands and just lift our voice and, and shout for the victory and, and shout with a voice of a testimony. Yeah, it can happen today. God's reaching for somebody today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, if you believe Jesus is coming soon, why don't you lift your voice? Lift your voice, lift your voice. God, we pray that you would do a work that mere human words cannot do. Jesus, we do pray that you would reach for somebody under the sound of my voice this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would draw somebody tuning in online this morning. Let your spirit pull us in. Let that conviction draw us to the foot of the cross today. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We have a blessed hope this morning. But this blessed hope is not just for a select few that seemingly have it all put together. It is for whosoever will. 
Anybody that thirsts, let him come and let him drink of the waters of the well of life everlasting. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. This is for everybody. Nobody is excluded this morning. And so if you think this is preaching right past you over your head, you got to think again. This is for you today. It's for you today. God is reaching for you. I understand. We live in a hectic world full of problems and turmoil. I understand that there are many things that crowd our minds and vie for our attention. But there's a sound ringing out today. Do you hear it? Do you hear what I hear? It's the sound of hope. It's the reason that we have joy even in the midst of chaos. Jesus is coming. And the more that this world gets into a mess, the more that I see good being called evil and evil being called good, the more that I see the Scripture being fulfilled with each passing day, it just lets me know over and again, Jesus is coming. The Scripture speaks in many places of what our world will look like just before Jesus returns for His church. It's called prophecy in the Bible. It's the declaration of things yet to come. Nobody can tell the future but God. And with stunning accuracy, the Bible has spoken of things that have happened. And it has spoken of things yet to happen. And they will come to pass just as the Scripture says. Did you know that one out of every 30 verses in the Bible mentions the subject of the end times or Christ's return to earth? This is not some minor thing. This is a major theme in Scripture that we would do well to heed this morning. And prophecy is really just history written in advance. And so it's not surprising to me that when I start to see the news headlines of the day and the prophetic writings in the Scripture starting to align, it's not surprising to me. Without doubt, we are living in the last days, when we hear about nations or ethnicities rising against one another, when we hear rumors of war, when we hear about wars taking place, when we read about earthquakes, famines, and the outbreak of uncontrollable disease, when we see laws passed that pervert the moral fabric of our society, when we see perilous times of moral decline, when we see a culture more in love with themselves and with pleasures than with God, when we see all of this, it just lets us know Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And here's the powerful thing. I know everything going on, it can really consume your focus, can't it? It is chaotic to see everything going on, even though we know it, even though the Scripture speaks of it, it's chaotic. But it is possible, and it is available to us today, to live in this chaotic world, full of problems and issues, and yet have your ear tuned to a different frequency, hearing a different sound. You can be tuned in this morning to a heavenly hope. Do you hear what I hear? It's the drumbeat of prophecy pointing us ahead toward the soon coming return of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. If you'll stand together with me. This is how I want to close. 
You know, Jesus said that as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And we understand that Noah's day was a wicked day, that the thoughts and the imaginations of men were only evil continually. Sometimes we think that Jesus was talking about the wickedness of Noah's day and that it will be wickedness in our day as well. But that's not what Jesus was talking about particularly. He said this, verse 38, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It wasn't the wickedness that Jesus highlighted. It was the fact that they were just living life. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. It was the routines and the cares of life that prevented those people from getting into the ark. And Jesus said, it will be the same when he returns the second time. So many people, he said, they will have their eyes fixed on the things of this world and the cares of this life, and they will miss the next important moment on God's calendar, the rapture of the church. We're familiar with the scriptures in Romans 8 where Paul said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And that's true. And we would expect all of those things to be on Paul's list. Of course, death can't separate us and angels and principalities and powers, uh, things present nor things yet to come, the uncertainty of the future, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But why did Paul say life? I was listening to Harold Hoffman preach and he made this point. It was so powerful. Because the truth of the matter is many do allow life to become a distraction and a separator that hinders their walk with the Lord. The busyness of routines, running errands, getting everyone where they need to go, buying groceries, picking up the mail, planning vacations, fixing the car. Heaven help us. Everyone say life. It's life. And all of those things are necessary and certainly life can feel perplexing at times, but I've just come to say, don't allow the cares of life to choke out the reality that we are not living for this temporal world. Jesus is coming soon. It was a Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s. Everyone with their head hung down. It was the oppression of Herod and the Roman Empire in Jesus' day. Everyone probably had their head hung down. But there were some that had joy in spite. They didn't allow the cares of life, the pressures of this world to get them down. They lifted their eyes. They lifted their heads. And they had joy. And so I'll close with what Jesus said. When you see all these things begin to come to pass, don't hang your head. Don't become oppressed and depressed and think everything's wrong. Lift up your eyes, Jesus said. Look up, lift your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Are you thankful today for the hope that we have in Jesus? Are you thankful today that He is coming back for His bride? The rapture is soon to come. And the door is still swung wide open for whosoever will today. I wonder, can we move out of our seats this morning? Church family, if you would join me at the front.
Somebody is going to get right with the Lord today. Somebody is going to repent of their sins this morning. Somebody can be baptized in Jesus' name. Somebody can be filled with the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost. Why don't we come around this altar and let's determine in our minds and in our hearts we're going to be ready to welcome Him with joy when He comes the second time. Hallelujah. The Lord's Spirit is drawing somebody here this morning. I wonder if our church family, if you need something to, if you have something you need to get right with the Lord, go ahead and, and lay it at the altar this morning. But the Lord wants to do an eternal work here today. We're not just going through the motions. The Lord is reaching for somebody. And so I wonder if, if you can just close your eyes. If you want to lift your hands, that's fine. But everybody across this sanctuary, can you lift your voice? Because the Lord is reaching out His hand of mercy and grace and saying, come to me. He's saying, come home. You don't have to live there any longer. You don't have to live bound by sin any longer. You don't have to do it your way any longer. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so you don't need to go that way anymore. You can turn and walk toward the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. What you are feeling in this service, it is not condemnation that weighs you down and pushes you away. It is the conviction of God's Spirit that draws you in and pulls you close. And I would urge somebody in the Holy Ghost to not brush off or push away what you feel in this atmosphere, but yield to the drawing of the Spirit of God. Take a step of courage and walk down an aisle and come to an altar and give everything to Jesus. Maybe it's not the first time, but once again, go ahead and give it all to Jesus. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our best. And He has hope available for us today. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to pray with us, but lift our hands all across the sanctuary today. There's an opportunity. I'm, I'm just encouraging and I'm urging somebody in the Holy Ghost. Don't, don't leave this service without getting right with the Lord. Don't leave this service without repenting of your sins and giving everything to Jesus. I need a church to just pray with me for a few moments here this morning. Can you just lift your hands and lift your voice? And just with a prayer of bold intercession, just lift what's inside, lift it to the Lord right now. my words have fell short, I pray that your word would penetrate the hearts of every individual in this room this morning. Lord God, I pray that your spirit 
would reach and compel somebody to take a step of faith this morning, to embrace the real message of what Christmas is all about, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Draw somebody, I pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Singers, come join us. Just lift your hands in this atmosphere. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. 